Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God blesses us. We're his people. But we're also in the midst of a war. And so God gives us those reprieves. He gives us those seasons where we get refreshed and we get strengthened and we see clearly everything and it's beautiful. But then, you know, then it's kind of back to the battle. And if we just keep in mind that the rule is we're in war, the exceptions are we have those seasons of reprieve. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, in a message titled, Faith, Power, and Prayer. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so here we are in Mark, chapter 9, picking up in our series of studies through the Gospel of Mark. And the verses that we read together today, we're just going to just sort of walk through these verses today as we spend some time ultimately focusing in on the subject of prayer. So our the title of our message today is Faith, Power, and Prayer. And we're going to blend all of that together. But as we just pick up the story in our reading here. Notice it says, and when he came to the disciples. So this is now what happens after that glorious time that Jesus and just these couple of apostles, uh, three of them actually, Peter, James, and John, this is after the time of the transfiguration there on Mount Hermon. So we're picking up now when they've come back down the mountain. And remember, they're on the mountain. It was by far the most extraordinary moment that the apostles, these three anyway, it's the most extraordinary moment that they had had with Jesus to date. Now, the only thing that's going to surpass this will be the resurrection. But now, remember, they've been with Jesus on the mountain. He was uh, transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah appeared there. The father spoke, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So this is the experience they had. And now they come back down the mountain. And as they come to back, back into the area down there, where the other nine apostles remained, they come right back to a confrontation with the religious leaders, and even more seriously, they come to a confrontation with the devil, with a, with a boy that is possessed by a demon. And so all of that to say, you know, there is some biblical precedent for the idea that oftentimes after a great spiritual victory, you can be confronted with satanic opposition, that this happens really a lot. And it's, it's a reality. It's something that people have experienced. And you kind of wonder like, wow, you know, what is this? And even yesterday, you know, I think, man, yesterday we had the most amazing time and God was moving and it was so powerful. And perhaps for some, you woke up today and you just thought, oh, wow, what's going on? I feel so oppressed. And that can happen. I think of Elijah in the book of Kings, where he has this 
amazing victory on Mount Carmel. And he calls down the fire from heaven and God shows up and it's this just extraordinary victory for the Lord and his prophet over the false prophets and all of that. And immediately after this, we find that Elijah flees because Jezebel threatens to kill him. And he goes off and he, and he gets into a secluded place and he says, Lord, just take my life. Just kill me. So, you know, he has this amazing spiritual high and then he drops down to this really, really low point. And that can happen because the enemy always is looking to counter what God's doing. So God does something in our lives. Don't be surprised if the enemy comes with a counterattack. It does happen. But at the same time, don't live in the superstition that that's always got to be the case. And the reason I say that is because sometimes people will say to me, you know, I see them, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing so great and God's this. And they'll tell you all this exciting stuff. And then they say, but man, I'm just, I'm so afraid that it's all going to unravel here any moment because you know, you can't have, you can't have a good time for too long before it all goes south on you. And it's like, okay, that's kind of superstition. We don't want to get into that mentality. You know, God blesses us. We're his people. But we're also in a battle. We're in the midst of a war. And so God gives us those reprieves. He gives us those seasons where we get refreshed and we get strengthened and we see clearly everything and it's beautiful. But then, you know, then it's kind of back to the battle, back to the front lines. And if we just keep in mind that that's the, the rule is we're in war, the exceptions are we, we have those seasons of reprieve. And so we see that here. So they have this glorious experience. Now they come down the mountain and uh, look what happens. There he saw a great multitude around the disciples and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? So Jesus comes, he sees that these, you know, these religious leaders, these professional theologians, they're, they're basically a, a, attacking, verbally attacking, trying to, trying to undermine the faith of the followers of Jesus. And Jesus, it's like the mother bear syndrome comes out here, you know, and he's just immediately like, what are you talking to them about? And the attack is on, but Jesus comes to their defense. So one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So this is the situation. Jesus walks into this, this, this demon-possessed boy, and his disciples were unable to deal with it. So look at verse 19. And this is really out of the ordinary for Jesus, but look what he says. He, he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And then he says, bring him to me. So this is a little bit out of character uh, for Jesus, especially dealing with his own disciples. Jesus is very patient. We see that in many different ways all throughout 
the Gospels. But let's not forget that Jesus can get annoyed sometimes. <laughs> you know, we, we can kind of push the limit, and that's what's happening here with them. Now, this statement right here in verse 19, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? This is almost a direct quote from Numbers 14, 17. And it's very interesting because every time I read this passage, I think, man, this sounds so much like the way the Lord would address the children of Israel. Many times over as you're reading through the story of God leading the people of Israel, you know, out of Egypt and into the promised land, there are these times where you sense with God himself this exasperated thing with them, you know, like how long? And, and this is pretty much what we read about in Numbers there. Now, you see, the thing is, again, God is patient. He's slow to anger. He's plenteous in mercy. Of course, he's all of those things. And we appreciate that. And we understand that. And we emphasize that. But we have to realize also there are certain things that God expects us to make progress. He expects us to grow. He expects our faith to grow. And the one thing that the Lord seems to express frustration over with his people most often is unbelief. God does not appreciate us not believing him. And you can understand why. He's faithful. So when we're not believing him, we're really kind of questioning his character. And God doesn't like that. I mean, think of the children of Israel. So there's that moment in, in Numbers 14, like I said, where, in, and actually this is, has to do with them going into the promised land. They sent the spies in. They, you know, they come to the place now where they're going to enter into the promised land. But the spies come back and 10 of them say, we can't do it. No, nah, this is, we're, we're never going to be able to survive. We're not going to be able to penetrate the land. There are giants in the land. They're going to eat us up. We're never going to survive. We might as well forget it. And the Lord was angry with that. And that's where he said that. How long am I going to bear with you? But think about it. The people who are now saying, oh, God's not going to be with us. He's not going to take care of us. He's not going to fulfill his promise is really what they're saying. So they're talking about the one who delivered them from Egypt. They're talking about the one who brought the plagues upon the Egyptians and spared them. They're talking about the one who opened the Red Sea for them to walk through on dry land. And then when the Egyptians attempted to pursue them, the sea closed up and swallowed them. And they're talking about the one who provided water out of a rock in the desert for them. They're talking about the one who's been raining down bread from heaven to take care of them in the wilderness. And now as they come to the very place where God promised to take them to the promised land, they say, no, he's not going to do it. What are they saying? God's not really faithful. We can't really trust him. And the Lord says, how long am I going to put up with this wicked congregation? And so in a sense, Jesus is expressing that same sort of exasperation here. I've been with you so long. How many miracles do you need to see? Now, remember, these guys had seen Jesus deliver people from demonic possession. They had been sent by Jesus with the power to do that. But now at this point, they're unable to do it. 
Why were they unable to do it? Well, we don't know for sure because the text doesn't tell us, except it does tell us it was their unbelief. But I think it was also self-confidence. I think they thought that they could handle this, but they couldn't because they weren't trusting God's power. They were trusting in their own strength. But Jesus does tell them that their, their problem here was unbelief. Now, Matthew chapter 17 is the parallel passage. So, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they will have many, many stories that are identical. But occasionally, there will be just slight differences. So one will just tell a little bit more of the story than the other. So in Matthew's gospel, this same story, when they asked Jesus the question, why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus says, because of your unbelief. So this was their problem. They did not believe. They had a, a lapse of faith at this point. But let's go on and look at the story, and then we're going to come back and look at the whole issue of belief and prayer and how these things all work together. So Jesus says to bring the boy to him. And so verse 20, then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. This is quite a, a horrific scene, as you can imagine. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So this has been something that's been going on for a long time in his life, from childhood. There's no explanation given to us uh, as to how he came under the control of these evil spirits, but everything we know in scripture for that kind of possession to take place, there had to be some sort of interaction with the, the spirit world. And remember, we've talked before about how at this time in history, Israel is as a nation, it's permeated with idolatry. It's permeated with demonism because of the influence of Rome immediately, but many of the other nations before that. So somehow this kid comes under this authority of these demonic powers. But the man then says to Jesus in verse 22, but if you can do anything have compassion on us and help us. So if you can do anything, apparently this man doesn't know exactly who Jesus is. And I think what probably was the case is this man heard about Jesus. He had heard about him. Now remember, Jesus is in an area that he's just visiting. He, he hasn't spent a significant amount of time in this area over the years of his ministry. So he's visiting this place and this man, he hears about this man, Jesus, and that he has power. So in, in his desperate situation, he goes to seek out Jesus with his son, but he doesn't find Jesus because Jesus is up on the mountain. And so I'm just in my mind, I just imagine, you know, that he comes, he finds the disciples. He says, hey, we're, I'm, I'm looking for Jesus. Well, Jesus isn't here right now. Uh, what can we do for you? You know, we're his men. We're his followers. We're his representatives. What do you need? And he says, oh, my son, my, my son's got a demon. And they attempt to deliver the boy from the possession, but they're, they're not able to do it. So now Jesus comes onto the scene 
And the man says, if you can do anything. Now, think about it. He heard the stories. He went to the followers of Jesus. They couldn't do anything. So now he's like, well, I'm not sure if you can do anything either. But if you can do something, would you do it? You know, sometimes we look at the passage, and I know I've even looked at the passage and just thought, oh, you know, this stupid guy, what do you mean if you can do anything? Of course he can do something. Don't you know that? No, he probably didn't know it. He was just hoping against hope that there was going to be an answer to this situation with his son. So your followers couldn't do it. Can you do anything about this? But I love the way Jesus responds. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Can you do anything about this? And you know, the, the, the literal rendering is, <laughs> Jesus actually said, can I do anything about it? <laughs> it's like, you're asking me if I can do, of course I can do something about it. Can you believe? That's what Jesus is asking him. And so, but look with the man. The man says, he, the father of the child, he cried out and he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. This is one of the most encouraging verses in all the Bible, in my opinion. Because what happens? Jesus says it. He does it. Does he do it because this man has great faith? No. The man admitted himself. I, I, I do believe. In other words, Lord, I, I kind of believe. I, I got a little bit of faith, but that doesn't prevent Jesus from doing it. And Jesus sees the man's heart. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And this is where we see once again, even though we have this moment of seeing Jesus exasperated with the situation, we see now that immediately following that, he is patient and he's kind and he's gracious and he's going to help this man even though his faith is not what it could be or should be or probably later would be. So, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I can think of many times in my own life where this little verse has spoken to me and, and helped me. Lord, I do believe, but, but help my unbelief. And so Jesus does as he, of course, was inclined to do. Jesus saw the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So this is what we want to focus on now today. But like I said, Matthew adds a little bit of a fuller account. They said, why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Because if you had faith as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would. But then he goes on to tell them exactly what Mark records for us here. So this kind can come out by nothing but, we're going to emphasize prayer because 
the fasting that's here, it's disputed in the original text. Now, remember, the Bible was originally written in the Greek language, and we have manuscripts that we have translated the Bible from, the Greek manuscripts. Now, there's a set of Greek manuscripts, the earliest Greek manuscripts, that do not contain the word fasting. So the oldest manuscripts, the ones that go back the closest to the time of the writing, do not contain fasting. The newer manuscripts, the ones that are you know, further away from the original time, they do contain fasting. So there's a big debate among scholars. It's a scholarly debate as to which of these manuscripts are the more accurate. Now, if you have a King James Bible or a New King James, then they use the newer manuscripts, so you're going to have fasting. If you have an NIV or if you have an ESV or if you have any other modern translation, an NLT, then fasting is not going to appear. And again, this, this is a theological debate. Scholars are divided as to whether it should be or shouldn't be. But because the New Testament really speaks so little about fasting, and it speaks about fasting primarily in the Gospels and in the context of still Jewish life, we're going to focus on prayer because we know the, the Bible speaks about prayer, right? We know the Bible has tons of things to say about prayer. So we're not going to worry about whether fasting is to be included in here. We're going to just kind of set that aside. Some would say the best manuscripts omit it. And so we'll go ahead and just leave that off here. And, and we want to look at prayer because what I want us to see today is that faith that manifests itself in power is connected to prayer. Faith that manifests itself in power is connected to prayer. So that's what we want to look at. Now, it was the lack of faith and their lack of faith resulted in a lack of power. They could not deliver the child. So what's the problem, they said? Jesus, why couldn't we do it? He said, this kind can come out only by prayer. We are, as I've already said, we're in a conflict with evil forces. The Bible is crystal clear. There is a spiritual world, and it is God and and the holy angels make up one part of that spiritual world, and the devil and the fallen angels, the demons, they make up the other aspect of that invisible world. And so we are in a, a battle And just like this boy was controlled by Satan and there wasn't anyone who could set him free, so there are people today who are likewise controlled by Satan. And we could take it out from the individual and and we could say there's a whole generation that is controlled by evil spirits these days. I mean, if you think of what's happening in our world, if you think of what's happening in our culture, uh, you think of some of the, you know, I say young people, but it's not exclusively young people, right? Uh, I think of the people whose lives are bound up in drug addiction and they're the younger ones think of the, the grief of the parent and everything they've tried avails nothing. I spoke to a man yesterday morning and he came up and he told me about his 25-year-old son who's had this addiction to crystal meth and he's just saying, would you pray for me? And he's asking for counsel and advice. And man, when you hear that, you're just like, Lord. 
the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, the Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. What does it mean to be male or female? Is it okay for a male to act feminine or a female to act masculine? Can someone be born in the wrong body and have the soul of another sex? How can I love my trans neighbor, friend, or child in a manner that honors Jesus? Although the topic of transgenderism has been largely avoided, mishandled, or misunderstood by the church, Preston Sprinkle addresses these very questions on a biblical and scientific basis. And he does so with a compassion that has been informed by the voices, needs, and concerns from the people within the trans community. The book embodied transgender identities, the church and what the Bible has to say by Preston Sprinkle is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.